Hey everybody, this is Mike Paterno, and I want to welcome you to Mostly Unseen with Jeff Boucher. Thanks for joining us. We're happy to have you with us today. Jeff is the pastor of Mill Pond Church. I want to let you know that any of these segments from our podcast will be accessible through our website at millpondchurchny.com. Today we're going to talk about something amazing that few people really ever talk about, church planning. Pastor Jeff has a lot of experience starting Christian church organizations, including Touch the World, and consulting with just so many other Christian churches and organizations. So, you know, with church planting, the Holy Spirit has to be working in power for any of this to get off the ground, because if not, then none of this is going to happen. It's impossible. So we're starting on this, this amazing topic tonight and journaling how God is getting Millpond Church off the ground. And Jeff is going to start talking to us in a, about it in a topic we like to call Surprised by the Spirit. Welcome, Jeff. Thank you, Mike. It's a very exciting topic, so uh, looking forward to it. Indeed. So I thought maybe what I could do is just, you know, we could bat the idea around a, a little bit about church planting, because I think a lot of people don't understand what that means. There are, you know, you think of planting something, and, you know, first thing comes to mind, of course, is vegetables, trees, plants, whatever, <laughs> you know, grass. Um, not really do they think of, you know, that with organizations, you know, giving birth to an organization, starting a, a, a you know, a company, something like that. Um, so why do we call it planting a church? Any ideas? I just think of usually like the Great Commission. Um and so it's got to come out from somewhere central, like you're scattering seed. So that's why I think of planting. Yeah, because, and that's exactly right, because when you think about people sharing the gospel, the Apostle Paul, right, as an example, mm -hmm. among all the, the apostles, but he went, he left Antioch, which was in Syria, and he went on three separate missionary journeys. On his first one, he would go to the synagogue. He would share the gospel um, many of the cities he went to were filled with Gentiles. Mm. Gentiles would listen. He opened up to them and say, no, this is not Jewish only. God is opening and extending the good news to everyone. People start believing. So what do you do with those people as they start believing? Well, in the early, earliest church, after Jesus ascended and the apostles began to preach, they needed, you know, a location and some kind of structure mm -hmm. so they knew that they needed to be in community and so forth and and do things so what did christians do in the earliest community and fortunately the the bible gives us some insight into you know that in a little bit on what went on inside of churches and even through chastisement by the Apostle Paul and correction mm -hmm. um, when things weren't going right he was correcting so we learned things about the correct way to do things from a negative perspective right. which is really interesting but I think if you want to look right back to say what did what did Christians do Paul would preach you know on the day of Pentecost Peter stood up this is before the Apostle Paul even became a believer in mm -hmm. Christ Peter stood up and this is 10 days after the ascension of Jesus. So Jesus told them to stay in Jerusalem and to wait for the promise 
that his father was going to send. Mm. And that's the Holy Spirit. So they went. They occupied themselves with a few things. We know that they chose another disciple to replace Judas. Mm -hmm. That was part of what they did. But we also know it says that they went to the temples, to the temple daily, and blessed and praised the Lord. And they met in the upper room. We don't know if this was the upper room that they spent the Last Supper in, or if this could have been, say, John Mark, which is Barnabas's cousin, his mom's house, because we know that they met there mm -hmm. at other times later in Acts. We just don't know. But we do know what they did there. It said they spent their time constantly in prayer. What were they praying for? I'm sure a lot of things, but I'm sure they prayed for that promise. When would it come? What would happen? So that promise was the promised Holy Spirit. We're going to get more into that because that is so powerful and so important. But before we do that, I want to give us what what did the early church do? What was the the earliest Christians do after Jesus was gone? He died. They were despairing because they didn't realize yet the resurrection was about to occur. The resurrection occurs, and they were like, wow, you know, maybe we were wrong. Okay, now we can establish the kingdom of Israel, the Davidic kingdom once again on the earth. But God had bigger plans. Mm. It wasn't just for the Jewish community. And this had been promised for thousands of years prior to it happening. Mm -hmm. So they would, you know, God promised that in the latter days, he would send his spirit into their hearts. And instead of reading the law, the Ten Commandments, let's say, off of tablets of stone, that he would inscribe in their hearts, you know, the spirit mm -hmm. would, the God's law, his righteous, so his law. And so, again, more on that later. I just want to look real quick at what occupied the early church at the very beginning. And now, remember, you, you have an organization that when it grows, you're going to add things to it. What was the, the initial, the earliest? What was going on? Acts 2.42 tells us exactly what was going on and what they were doing. Some Bibles actually put the subtitle in there, uh, the fellowship of the believers. So the, we think of churches today, some of them as fellowships. In fact, some churches are called fellowships. We have a verse in Scripture that tells us, you know, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in their midst. Mm. So as we go, we're going to correct some maybe wrong assumptions about church. We're going to look at what the Bible says about church. We're going to define the church. We're going to look at some things that help us understand because only when we understand those things can we understand many of the things that God does to bring a church into existence. And so we're going to do that in a moment. So I want I want to look at this, and maybe you can, you know, I know you jump on these things and you have that passage sitting somewhere over there. So go ahead and read that for us. Sure, from Acts. So um, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. 
Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. There is so much in that oh, sentence. Yeah. And we're, here's, here's the thing. We're not going to break it all down at once. Because what I think would help us is now that we let that marinate a little bit, and that's right, we have at least four things there that are distinctive. And I want to give you a story about the church I planted in 2004. Mm-hmm. Could have been started in three, I think, and, and four is when we really got it going. So there's some considerations that you always have. Number one, does God want you to plant a church? Anything that is worthwhile, anything that God is going to do or he wants, he tells you. So people say, well, wait a minute. what do you mean he tells you? Does God talk to you? You know, does God talk to you? Yes, God does talk to us. Does he talk to us like you and I are talking right now? He could. I know he has happened to me once and you know maybe not quite the same but yes god does but he communicates in a variety of ways and the bible tells us this is i'm not going to go outside the realm Mm -hmm. of what the bible teaches okay so how did he speak to people and you know we're not going to look right now or maybe we will if you jump to it but hebrews chapter one tells us that god spoke to us you know through history in various ways okay and and in through different things and maybe you know read that out to us okay in the past god spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times in various ways but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe okay pause there so it says that in the former days, before the time of Jesus, the prophets were given a message. Mm. They spoke. But it says God communicated in a variety of ways. Name some of those ways. Can you think of any? There are some circumstances um, through, well, really through, he, well, he gave the commandments to Moses on tablets. So that was written. <laughs> and before that, Moses saw a burning bush. Mm-hmm. God spoke out of the burning bush. Yeah. And it's like, what the heck? Who gets talked? You know, it's the only one I can find in the Bible. Even Abraham, right? Right. Abraham, what did God do? He told him, look into the sky. Your descendants will be more than all the Yeah, how did he do that? He spoke to him. Doesn't say. So he either spoke out loud or he communicated clearly to Abraham. He communicated clearly three promises to Abraham, Mm -hmm. right? So what were those promises? I'm going to show you a land. I want you to go to it. Okay. It's the promised land. We call that today Israel. They didn't call it that at that point because Israel wasn't born yet. Mm. That was Jacob, right? So we look at this and we say, okay, it was the promised land, the land of, it was a promise that God made to Abraham. Then he promised him, what else? Many children, offspring. Then he promised him that, that he would be a blessing to all the nations of the world, not a single nation. To all the nations of the world. Why? Because Messiah was going to come through mm-hmm. his genealogy through him. Now, then we know the story from there. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, right? Jacob has 12 sons. They become the 12 tribes. And Jacob's name gets changed to Israel by what? By an angel. Mm-hmm. By an angel that he has 
a wrestling match with, as if you can beat an angel wrestling. But there was a point to that. It wasn't yeah, for him to yeah. win or lose. It was, you know, the we'll talk about that yeah. one day. God speaks by dreams, by trances, by visions, mm-hmm. by angel appearances. Still to this day, the book of Hebrews says to us, do not grow weary in entertaining strangers because you do not know mm. when you're entertaining what? An angel. An angel of God. Okay? So you all kinds of ways God spoke to us and all kinds of visuals that the prophets used to communicate God's word to us and and often using their own body to show those things and that's you know all these things are filled with meaning so we get down to it and God still speaks today now there are many who would argue with me because there are many who believe that that the spiritual gifts articulated to us say in 1 Corinthians 12 to 14 mm-hmm. uh, some of them are articulated in Romans some of them are articulated in Ephesians um, some people call the ones in Ephesians offices of the church right um, so there were different gifts in Romans articulated to us and so you know I happen to believe that God does give gifts to his people and and we when we and the number one gift that he gives is at conversion mm-hmm. he gives us the spirit of God and that's also called baptism of the spirit again you'll have different people in in the kingdom of God that would argue when baptism of the spirit happens that's an important piece of discussion for tonight um but certainly I believe that when you're baptized in the spirit clearly from my perspective it comes at conversion mm-hmm. now subsequent to your conversion you can have infillings experiences with God where he speaks he shows he impresses upon you he he jumps out to you in his word he gave us the Bible the Old and New Testaments so all these things speak to us all right having said all of that and before we jump into the what the early church did or didn't do I'm gonna tell you a story about what happened to me right and and this is one of many kinds of things that God did and you mentioned something that I think is key in order when God is on the move God is at work mm. this is the difference between a man inspired effort mm-hmm. and a God inspired effort and it doesn't mean like God inspires us to do even start our own companies at times that that can happen mm. absolutely and God could actually produce miracles in the middle of that to make it happen for you um, you know, but what you want to know out, out of the gate is, am I supposed to do this? That's critical. Don't run ahead of God. God is going to do what God is mm-hmm. going to do. And it's in God's timing that he mm-hmm. does. It. That's clear all over scripture. Mm-hmm. Okay. So here's my story about powerhouse Christian church. I was at a church prior to powerhouse initially called white cup baptist church it was a non-denominational but it was baptist uh they called it baptist because really the 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 structure of it and the teaching of it you know was baptistic in nature Mm -hmm. and when i was there uh, i started as a youth pastor then in 1994 i started in 89 94 i was uh asked to kind of fill in because the senior pastor left and the church was struggling youth group was doing great church was you know, kind of had an identity crisis, if you will. Then, through a series of things, God retooled it. I became the pastor. I brought in a co-pastor for a whole lot of reasons we'll talk about in another 
thing, another podcast. And then God began to just miraculously turn that church around. I got to a point in the church. I was there, I think, 10 or 11 years. In the 10th year, I think it was 1999 that I was there. Church had been 40 years old before I got there. Now it's 50. And booming, growing. Hundreds and hundreds of people have been added to the church in those years. And as I was there, I started to feel what I'm going to describe as discontent. So not with the church. This is why it was so strange to me. It was a very strange feeling. It almost felt like, you know, things weren't like they were. For me, though, nobody else was feeling this. You know, people were, they were, everybody was excited about what, what was going on in the church. So I began to feel this, and I tried to shake the feeling, thinking, okay, whatever it is, it's just me. You know, I have wonderlust, you know what I mean? Like, you know, and, and that's why I did a lot of mission work, too. I'd travel, I'd do things, but I had a base, and that mm. was this church. Touch the World, that organization you mentioned, mm -hmm. grew out of my work at this church. Touch the World got launched a year and a half after I got there. And in 19, it's actually two years where we incorporated it into uh, an organization. But it filled my personality the way God made me. I could be at home in a church that was really working with people from an area, but then I could get out there and take kids, take people to other parts of the world to do ministry, bring the excitement back, mm. and it would be infused into the church. This is kind of how God worked in me. So Touch the World was growing and growing and growing. It got to a point where I was heading up both. Both were growing. Now it was getting difficult. I had a board of elders at my church at mm -hmm. uh, at Wyckoff, right? And we were in the midst of changing the name to Cornerstone Christian Church. Okay. And then, you know, I was I had a board of directors at my Touch the World ministry. Mm. So, you know, I was in both realms great people all around, all, all kinds of good things happening. Seeing many, many things. Touch World got to a point where we were incorporated in five other countries. Wow. We had at one point 70 staff members. Wow. So it really was really growing. Yeah. So in doing all this, I thought, oh, is this contentment, you know, maybe because I'm, I'm doing more administrative work that I want, than, than I want to. So I, I began praying. Anyway, it comes to a point where I'm thinking I ought to leave and do Touch the World. But I don't want to say that out loud. I didn't mm. want to say it to my family. I didn't want to say it to my friends. I didn't want to say it to anybody. So because people would be like, why? You know, th things are going great here. Why would you want to leave it? Why would you, you know, and I didn't want that to occur and cloud my thinking. So I had a mentor, uh, Paul Stanley, who would come by. And he, he, he spoke into my life many times throughout my ministries, sometimes correcting me for things I, I, I should do better or whatever. Sometimes, you know, saying, hey, this is God working sometimes, you know, an outside, very experienced, objective view, looking at, at what I was doing. So he pops through this time and he says, let's spend some time together. We spent three hours in the park next to the church, sitting at a picnic table and at the end of the three hours, he asked me all kinds of questions. We talked back and forth. I asked him a lot of stuff about mm. what he was doing. End of three hours, he looks at me and said the most shocking thing. He said, I'm going to give you my thoughts on this. It's okay. 
it's time for you to leave the church. Hmm. I thought, you want to pray about it? You, <laughs> yeah, right. you know, like, how, how would you know something? Like that? that to me was like almost like crazy. Yeah, right. So I, I, I've been wrestling with it for a while, a couple of months. And he just comes out and said, I said, why? He said, I'm going to tell you why. He said, you know what I do in the world? I said, yeah. He develops bleeders all over the world. Mm. This is his bailiwick. This is his strength. Mm. This is what God called him to. He says to me, I've seen commonalities when God is on the move and moves leaders from one place to another. Why should we think? He said, and, and here's a great thing. And I already knew this with what Paul is about to say as far as um, I knew one thing. And then what he added to it, I, I thought was incredible. Mm. So when we think of church, we think of the building. Mm. We think of where I go to church. So where did you grow up in church, Mike? Or where, no, let, let me back off that. When I say to you, hey, you know, what, what's your church like? First thing that comes to mind is what? Usually the location, where it is. Usually where it is. And yeah. what what's the picture that comes to your mind? Uh, a building of some sort that most people will picture as a church. I mean, I grew up Catholic, so. You so know, for you, if somebody's talking about your earliest years in church, what do you picture? I would have said my parish. Yes. That would so, have you, been, yeah. so the mental picture that would have come to you was either the inside of the church with the pews, the altar, outside of the church, the parking area. Mm -hmm. the, you, you would have thought about it. If I And everything we talk about, our mind is so powerful, it creates multiple pictures, mm. hundreds in, in an hour, tons. In fact, if I said right now, Hey, I'm going to Newark Airport this afternoon. I, you already made a picture in your mind, mm -hmm. and you you know, and your our pictures might be different. Mm -hmm. You might think, what did you think? I'm thinking of the uh, short-term parking. <laughs> what, are you, what are you thinking, of, Kenny? Go ahead, say that loud. Nobody, you don't have a microphone, but what are you thinking when you think airport? TSA. Yeah, the, the TSA. Maybe you had a bad experience flying. I don't know. You know, whatever. You know, right away, I think of the tower. Oh yeah. Yeah. Right. Others think of the tarmac. Mm -hmm. Others think of the the planes taking off and landing. All of us conjure an image. With we don't try, it's there, it just does. Okay. We got to write something about an airport if we wanted to describe it. We'll describe it in things that we see mm -hmm. in our mind's eye. Okay. The church. What does God see? God doesn't see the buildings. So wait. What, what do you mean? God sees His people. And I think this is so important to explain at the outset of this journey, because this is going to be a critical piece. When you think of what God sees, God sees his people, every believer in Jesus Christ that has accepted Christ or put their trust in Christ, put their faith in Christ. I can describe this in many ways. The words are not as important as the concept that stands behind the words. So, when a person has a conversion experience, it could be with fanfare and the sirens go off and the, the sparklers start, or it could have been C.S. Lewis type, right. where he was dejected, got on his knees, no fanfare, no people, mm -hmm. and sat down and his thoughts were, I am the most miserable of all sinners in England, right? And that was his moment where God changed his heart. Mm. And he cried out to God. Others, it happens at a big Billy Graham or now Franklin Graham crusade. You know, a Greg Laurie crusade is somebody's crusade. And it's like thousands of people. You're walking down the front and there's 
you know, people applauding and what's going on. And it's a great thing. Okay. But it doesn't matter what it is. But you, what happened in that moment that you came to faith in Christ, it says in Ephesians that God put his mark, his seal on you. You are sealed with the Holy Spirit. God sees the mark. God sees. He knows his own. When he sees his church, he sees it worldwide. All the members of the church. Elijah, the prophet. Many people won't know this story, but some will. In the book of Kings, I believe it is. Mm -hmm. Elijah, 1 Kings, I think. Uh, yeah, it's in 1 Kings, I think. But anyway, Elijah. He is running. Oh, yeah. First right? yeah. Kings 18, First maybe? Kings 19. 19. Yeah. Actually, that was the one I thought of, actually. Okay. So Elijah's running for his life. And, you know, he just had this major event. And now they're hunting him down. He, he runs for 40 days. He gets to this cave at, at Mount Carmel. He's hiding. He's running. He's hiding. He finally takes a rest. And God says, Elijah, what are you doing here? Oh, God. Listen, your people, you, the Israelites, they, they've abandoned you. They've broken down your altars. They've killed your prophets. And I am the only one left of all the people. God doesn't correct him right there. Mm. God then goes on in the conversation to show him his power. And he shows him, you know, an earthquake, right? The rocks mm -hmm. are crumbling. He shows him, you know, fire whipping through these, these mountains. And it's in each time it says, God was not in the earthquake. Mm -hmm. God was not in the fire. And then one was, what was it? Wind. Wind. He senses rushing wind and the, the rocks are busting on the mm -hmm. mountains coming down. And he said, but God was not in the wind. Then he says to Elijah, go stand in the front of the cave there, in the entrance to the cave. And then God whispers to him, right? And what does he say? I know you're looking at the passage. Well, he says, <laughs> he actually, um, Elijah covers his face. Yes. Because he can't, uh, he can't, uh, he can't look at him and he realizes and he's just still small voice. Um, and I love this because he tells him, and you'll read it in a second for us. And actually it's the other part I wanted, but he, 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 he says, you know, he does all these things. And then he says, he actually comes to him in a still small voice. He wasn't in the other three major big events that he just showed him. He comes in a whisper. And what does he say? Elijah, what are you doing here? And he says, Lord, same answer. I've been faithful to you. You know it. The Israelites, they failed you. They've broken down your altars. They've killed your prophets. And I alone am left. And then what does God say? Then he says, um, go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazel to be the king over Syria and Jehu son of Nimshi you shall anoint to be king over Israel and Elisha son of Shaphat and Abel Manaloa you shall anoint to be the prophet in your place and the one who escapes the sword of Hazel shall Jehu put to death and the one who escapes the sword of Jehu, Jehu Elisha will put to death yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel all the knees that have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him okay so the three guys that you just talked about, mm -hmm. Elijah ran. He ran because he panicked. He ran because his life was in danger. But God already knew, you're not, your life's not in danger. I am with you. 
I'm with you. But Elijah panicked. And God, okay. God watched. And God protected him. In fact, he tried to lay down in the desert and die. Yeah, yeah. And God sent an angel who fed him miraculously. And he went in the strength of that food for 40 days till he got to where he was going. Then, when he was calm, when the anxiety subsided, when he could finally listen, God speaks to him. Shows him, you know, why did he do that? Well, what I think is, he showed Elijah, you're expecting the big things like I just showed you back there, right, on the mountain. He said, that's not how I work all the time. You should know I'm always present, okay? And he says, by the way, Elijah, I have 7,000 that did not bow the knee to Baal. You're not the only one. The church around the world, God sees. Now, he doesn't see, meaning his church, as everybody who sits in the pew on a Sunday. Why not? Because not everyone's listening to the Spirit of God there. They're just... Why wouldn't they be? They're in church. Sometimes people just show up, you know, and they're like, it's like they, they think of it like work. It's an obligation that you just do. But they don't really have the meaning behind it nor the understanding. Okay, so it could be a habit they've done since yeah. they're a kid. It could be a social club for them. It could be, I love the bagels in this place. Yeah. It could be, the my music, friend asked me to come. Yeah. I love the band. I, you know, but they never made that faith commitment. They never made it. Now, they might even think they're a believer, you know, because they go to church. But, and I've often said this, you know, if you go and sit in McDonald's, will it make you a Big Mac? <laughs> if you sit in the garage, will it make you a car? No. Sitting in church doesn't make you a Christian. God sees his people. His people are those that by faith put their trust in Jesus Christ for mm. the redemption, for the forgiveness of their sins. Amen. That's why he, he, he did it. That's who he sees. We see buildings. He sees people. Mm. In all of my years growing now in Christ, I see people. I also see buildings because I think where are we, where we going to meet is people. How can we use that building? Mm. What can we do with it? That's a gathering point. Whatever. So I, I, I did that rabbit trail because I think it's so important to understand the church is not the building. The church is not the building. The church is not the pastor. The church is the body of Christ, the believers that have put their faith in him. That's the church. That's who Acts 2.42 was talking about, what they were doing. They gathered together. They praised God. They worshiped it, right? And, and the things that you mm -hmm. read earlier. Mm -hmm. So in looking at that, I leave this church. God is getting me to leave. And Paul says to me in the midst of this, he said, listen, I've asked you a number of questions today, more than 10, very specifically on the church, spaced out by other things we were talking about. You were asking me about my stuff. I shared my stuff. I asked you about family. I asked you about, you know, things going on, programs, right? Then I would ask you about something about the church. And every time I did, you, your answer brought it back to touch the world. Unconsciously. He said, that is one of the sure indicators that God mm -hmm. is working in you to move you from one place to another. It's not a bad thing. God has used you here in this place. You've done what God needed you to do here. Pastors can move from church to church, organization to organization. People can actually move from one church to another. God may have had a person, a parishioner in a church for a period of time and sent them on. So 
I understood what Paul was saying. I was not 100% convinced because that could just be me. But Paul said, because I, then, then I talked to them and I said, you know, Paul, how can I, you know, I, how can I, he says, okay, I'm going to tell you something. Well, no, Paul came back on another visit. He left at that one. Then I'm running my Bible study. So I, I, you know, I leave the church based on what we talked about. And then it was the right move. I stayed at the church and I traveled a lot, but I left my family there so they wouldn't have to travel with me because that's their home. Mm -hmm. So I traveled speaking and doing different things just to give my co-pastor that ability to assume, assume yeah. command, if you will, right? And, and that went well. It all went well. Then something happens in 2001 or two, right? Touch the world is booming now. So God has used me in a lot of startup things, right? Starting this, starting that. We started up a skate park. Um, had a thousand kids coming to it. We started up a, a, a cafe called Holy Grounds Cafe in the city of Allendale, town of Allendale. And our offices for Touch World got located there as we grew. Then we, you know, we had a number of other things happening in other countries. And so lots of things that God was doing in the midst of this. So then I'm at Bible study and we would always come together. And this was a Bible study that I'd carried on from my days at the church. And if people wanted me to stay doing that. So now I functioned like a small group leader and this was my Bible study. So as we're sitting there, one of our guys came up to me. His name was Rick. And Rick and Lynn would always come out. Um, you know, he was a great guy. Great, great. Both of them, great couple. And Rick always had this thing where God spoke to him. Now, people are, come on. Get, listen, I don't care what people say. There is no doubt in my mind because so many times what he said came to fruition. It was... At first, kind of amazing. Then it was uncanny. Then it was impossible. Then it was God. That's mm -hmm. how it went in the mm -hmm. transition. So when this was going on, um, you know, Rick comes up to the end of a Bible study. His wife's not there that night. And he just walks up to me. And normally our Bible studies went like this. We'd arrive at 7. We'd have Bible study till about 8.30. We'd have dinner together. Quick dinner, like pastas or something like that. And dessert, everybody would be hanging out, talking. It was a great fellowship. It was at a, a home, you know, Janet's home, Janet Brain. And we would do this. Rick walks up to me and says, Jeff, Lynn couldn't come with me tonight. He said, but he told me I had to tell you this tonight. And, you know, they were like two peas in a pod. They were together all the time. So, you know, I'm like, okay, what do you got, Rick? He said, um, so I was praying this week. He said, God told me you're going to start a church. And the church is going to be in Wyckoff. So understand this, Wyckoff was the very town I was, I left the church in, and the one I'm in church right now, why would I start another church in this town? The church that I came from, you know, so there'd be all kinds of problems. In your that. head, there were so many things logistically that didn't add up. So many things. <laughs> and so as Rick told me this, and it was very brief, I looked at him and said, Rick, here's what I'm going to say. I believe God speaks to you. I'm not sure you got his ear on this one or he got yours. But I can tell you this. I can think of 10 reasons right now why I shouldn't start a church in Wyckoff. 
Well, I shouldn't start a church, number one, and a church in Wyckoff, number two. God called me out of a church into Touch the World, you know, recently, like in the last two years, year and a half. So he goes, okay, that's fine. I'm just telling you. God told me to tell you. So I'm like, all right, can I ask you something? He said, sure. Could you pray, and I will too, that God would tell me somehow, some way. He just did tell me, but a, conf a confirmation. Because this is so... You said this to Rick? To Rick. Okay. Rick said, sure, I'll pray. And, you know, he just got... It was off his back now. He he told me. He felt good. And yes, I'll, I'll keep praying. I start praying. And initially, I was praying daily. Then weekly. Then maybe a couple times a month. Then maybe... You know, whatever. But in six months, three months, I think, he asked me, Hey, Jeff, have you been praying? So you know what, Rick? I have, but not as consistently as I was at the beginning. I'll do it again. You know, he said, got anything from God? Nope, got nothing from God. And I'm going about doing what we do. Doing... So, okay. Then I start getting this, like, a year goes by, and then a year and a half. Then I start getting this sense. At Holy Grounds, we started the service because we had a cafe all during the week, Monday through Saturday. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't open the cafe on Sunday because I wanted people to be in church and do what they do. Mm. So we didn't open. And we opened at night. We gave our product away free, coffee, whatever we had, desserts that were still, you know, very good, but but left over. And we just gave it away. And we took an offering. And that, that service began to grow. It grew from a handful of people to... Two handfuls of people to 85 people. And that's how many we could take in the cafe. Wow. So we had to start a second service. Then I start feeling, I'm asking these people, where are you from? What's your church? Well, I don't really have a church. They were ostracized or they, you know, they felt disenfranchised or, you know, they came out of a church that they, they had, you know, struggles with, what, whatever. Now I'm thinking, so they're like, well, this is my church. So I'm thinking, oh, man, this is not, we're not a full orb church. We're not doing everything a church does. So then I'm going, all right, what are we going to do with these people? I tried to get them into other churches. I tried pa getting pastors to come over to the evening service, send somebody, and bring them to your church, right? <clears throat> people didn't respond too much to that, meaning the pastor. Nobody sent anybody. So I'm like, oh, my gosh. So I'm praying, praying, praying. So something happens. Paul comes back into town, and he's 65% of his time is out of the country. So in Africa, you know, other places. This is reminiscent of like Moses with the people in the desert. It was amazing. That's what, that's what this reminds me of. Well, it, it was it was just utterly amazing. So Paul says to me, um, you know, and, and, you know, just kind of talks and says, um, I, I tell him all this going on. And I say, I'm getting this feeling, Paul. And again, I don't like to go by feelings. I get nothing from God going, yeah, start a church. <laughs> nothing. No skywriting, no burning bush, nothing. I got my feelings like is it discontent is it whatever so paul listens to me for about half hour he's i'm going to give you a piece of advice that i've only given one other time in my whole ministry but in this case i think it fits and i probably will never use it again he said you know the story of gideon i said yes mm -hmm. he said you know how gideon put his fleece out and if you don't know the story of Gideon, it's in Judges chapter 6. But basically what it was was this. Gideon was so worried what, on what God was calling him to do 
it seemed so overwhelming that he said, all right, God, I'm going to put the sheep's fleece, right? They, they, they shaved the, the, the sheep and he put the fleece out on the ground. And he said, if I put this out and there's dew everywhere on the ground tomorrow, except on the fleece, I'll know what you speaking to me. Gideon wakes up in the morning. There's dew on the ground all around, wet with dew, but the fleece was dry. We don't know what went through Gideon's mind, but we do know, we do know that doubt arose, and he started thinking, uh-oh. And I can imagine what he thinks. So this is my imagining. I can imagine Gideon going, oh, you know what? I should have asked for the ground to be dry. Because what if this dried off before I looked at it? What if the dude didn't stick to the fleece? The way Plus, he was super afraid to begin with. To I mean, ground. he was hiding a wine press. Right, so. <laughs> exactly. So what if he says then... You know, all right, so he says, God, don't be angry. But could we do this again? Could we, I, I want to do over. I want to say, so could we put the fleece out again and this time make the dry completely dry, the ground completely dry, and the water, the, the dew only on the fleece? Wakes up the next morning and the ground is completely dry and the fleece he wrings out into a bowl of water. And, and the bowl, it has, you know, I don't know if it was full, but it was enough to say. That water. <laughs> this, okay. Now, he's good. But it's not good because he doesn't ask something else. And, and God, he didn't even have to ask. God knew he was panicking. God gave him something else. So Paul says, I want you to put a fleece out. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to, in your prayer time, ask God to show you something. And he says, you have to come up with it. You give it to God. Something that only you know, you don't tell anybody. I said, okay, that you would know if this happens, it's God. And mm. I instantly knew what it should be. Mm. Instantly. I left that church and my co-pastor, Fred, was a little bit apprehensive. I was much more the dominant, like, cheerleader, visionary, so forth. Fred was an excellent communicator, teacher, you know, a lot of other things going. And he depended on me for vision. I depended on him for carrying out, uh, you know, certain of those things and preaching and teaching. You know, we did, we shared. So there's a lot of good things we both did. So I said, Paul, I know what it is. He said, good, pray about it. So I start praying. That was a Sunday. Paul, uh, my, and it was in, I think, October. I was about to have our annual vision dinner for Touch the World. I had my chairman of the board of Touch the World from Scotland over. So he was of the whole United Kingdom and he, he was based in Scotland. And uh, I did a lot of work with him in his church. He comes over. His name is Colin. He's speaking at my, you know, thing on uh, this coming Saturday. So he's there with me for a week. So Paul leaves on that day, Saturday or Sunday. I start praying. I tell Colin because I know he knows nobody here. He's not going to tell anybody. I said, Colin, pray with me that this is, you know, that God, I said, this is what I prayed for. He said, sure. I got him meeting with Fred on Monday at the cafe because he's going to preach at Fred's church on, you know, my old church on Sunday. And I think that's awesome. So Fred comes to meet him. So I kind of introduced him. Hey, Fred, Colin, Colin, Fred. And then I kind of daydream, as I always do, you know. So they're talking, you know, they talk for about 20 minutes, half hour. Fred stands up and he goes, oh, 
before I leave, Jeff, he goes, I was out with Tim Keller, pastor from New York City, at one of his get-togethers, and it's all about church planting. It's really interesting because they talk about, you know, planting churches, and, and churches should always be planting churches because it's part of the DNA of church is reproducing. People reproduce. That's what happens. Mm. So churches should reproduce. So he went through this whole thing that Tim Keller's working on, and he said, Jeff, I go home. That was on, I get home from the weekend. And yesterday, which would have been, I think, Sunday, you know, Sunday or Monday, and uh, he says, and I'm praying. And instantly God puts in my heart something. Now, here's what I told Colin. I said, Colin, here's what I know is my fleece. And I only said it to him. And I said, Colin, if Fred comes to me and says these specific words, Jeff, you should start a church. I'll start a church. And in my heart, I knew that wasn't going to happen. Because Fred would have never wanted that to happen. You know, me starting a church that wasn't at their church. Right. So I was, I felt relieved. And I felt like, ha <laughs> I introduced him. Fred gets up to leave that meeting. Says what he says. He goes, by the way, Jeff, I'm praying this morning. And I, he goes, I'm not a church but He goes, I'm thinking, how does this happen? What could it happen? He goes, it hits me like a ton of bricks. Jeff, you should start a church. You should plant a church. I almost fell off my seat. Colin looks at me. And right away, his eyes widened at the size of quarters. And he goes, have you guys spoken? I said, no, Colin. No. <laughs> and I didn't want him to say anything. No, 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 no. And Fred goes, you saw that and you didn't know what that was. But he goes, all right, I got to go. Check you later. Fred walks out. Colin looks at me. He goes, I would never have believed you if you didn't tell me ahead of time. And I was sitting right here when he said that. He said, you have to start a church. And then I'm like, oh, my goodness, you know. So that's how God spoke, clear as day. Mm-hmm. So we begin the process of starting a church. Rick speaks to me. So I said, at least I know it won't be in Wyckoff. Because Rick said I was going to start a church. And I said, that guy has God's ear, right? Because God told him. He didn't mince any words. Jeff, you're going to start a church. And it's going to be in Wyckoff. So it's not going to be in Wyckoff. So we look all around. I call a realtor. Like we, we, so here's what happens real quickly. We start growing. We're two services at the cafe. We can't stay there. We're too, it's too much. And we can't do anything for the children and the whole bit. So I you know, go out looking. And all of a sudden, a hotel opens up for us. Um, I think it was in Ramsey. Or, it was Ramsey or Mallow. I think it was Ramsey. The Devil Tree Hotel. Mm. Great. We go there. Explain what we're doing. The guy that was assigned to us that was a waiter that handled our bagels and all the other stuff every every Sunday. He was a believer. It was awesome. He loved it because he says, I can't go to church because awesome. I have to work in the mornings. Oh, wow. So he, so he loved church. So we grew and we just continued to grow. And we were doing all the things that early church was doing. And we'll get to that. So this goes on and all of a sudden... The, the hotel sisters, you guys got to quiet it down because we're playing music in the morning. They knew. I told them everything we were going to do, full disclosure. We had a one-year contract. They're like, oh. I said, look, we'll try to work with you, but we got to have music. So I said, we'll, we'll lower it to what it normally be because there's rooms right above them. Okay. So, so we had this little tension back and forth, and they didn't renew our contract, but it was on friendly terms. They said, look, 
we didn't actually realize when we were getting into this what this was. We wish you the best. We want you to, you know, but in three months, we're not renewing. We want you to know ahead of time. Appreciated that. No problem. Looked around two months. Right? Eastern Christian High School. Um, there's a church meeting there um, or was meeting there. And now it's it's not. So we're going to use it to meet. So we start meeting there. Now it's an auditorium. It's a school, high tech. They put all kinds of yeah. new stuff in there. Oh we used the cafeteria and the classrooms for kids, church and stuff like that. It was fine. We get there, we're growing, boom. Some amazing things happen there. Miracles take place. I'm not going to talk about that today. Get done with that. And we say, okay. And so now as we're thinking through this, um, where can we go now? So we've got a realtor looking for real estate. And I said, anywhere but Wyckoff. He finds places in Allendale. I said, that's a little too close. We find stuff across in Mawa. I look at the stuff in Allendale because I'll look at it. Say, yeah, this is the kind of thing we're looking for, uh, warehouse style. We can then rehab it. Um, shows me stuff in Upper Saddle River. Shows me stuff in Mawa. Shows me stuff, you know, okay. Calls me one day. He says, Jeff, I know you don't want to be in Wyckoff. But I have a warehouse I want to show you because what I want to show you um, is a building that if this is what you're looking for, it helps me now say, if you say this is it, then I'll go look very specifically. He says a little bit different than the ones you looked at. It's a standalone kind of thing. It's a part of a warehouse that's, you know, like 200,000 square feet and it's, it's 20,000 square foot footprint, or maybe it was a hundred thousand square feet. I said, okay, I go over there. I walk in. It is totally like just got it. It's a warehouse. This overwhelming sensation hits me so much so that I stopped right there. I got on the phone mm. and I called our elders who were all local out of seven of them. I think it was no six of them. I think it was six or seven, six or seven, five or six, five, all but one made it over in the next hour. I didn't tell them what I felt. So I want you to come look at something. I think it's pretty urgent. Every one of them was able to free their time. Hmm. They all come walking through. Every one of them had the same experience. They said, this is it. This is it. This is it. And I said, how can this be? It's in white cloth. I don't know how I'm going to break that to Fred. Right? But it was great because a couple of years had gone by and Fred realized. And I told him this to begin with. We're not going to pull people from Cornerstone Church. I know you're worried about that because that was my church. Right? You and I were working there together. But this is a new thing. And we're reaching the lost. And we're reaching people that don't have church. So we had one or two people come over out of all the people. And so Fred goes, well, you know, I don't know if I meant that. You know, I will you know, whatever. So he was a little nervous. But he said, look, when I told him what was going on, he said, you got to do it. You got to do it. So we do it. And boom, we're at, at you know, Wyckoff. And we rehab the whole thing, miracle upon miracle upon miracle that I'll unfold in our journey, in this surprised by the spirit journey that we're talking about. So all this goes on and we are watching, feeling, sensing, and witnessing things that happened in the early church and throughout the centuries that, you know, that are happening now in our church. And we're watching it right in front of our eyes and everything from people getting healed 
to people to, um, you know, we had one benefactor that came to our church, started working, loved the vision. You know, he, he was an owner of uh, lumber yards. And several of us put up our homes to take a loan oh, wow. to do the church, right, to, to rehab it. And four of us. And, and so the bank was, you know, giving us a loan. We start doing, you know, some things. And, um, and I get an account. I talk to this guy because I want to help the Christian community. And this guy's a Christian who owns these lumberyards. Mm-hmm. He said, oh, yeah, open an account at, at the lumberyard under the church name Powerhouse. And, yeah, and, and just start charging. And we'll, we'll figure it out as it goes. So after a month, I'm a little concerned because I know we spent probably a hundred grand in the first month mm. and I want to start paying him back. So we have a loan, so money's sitting ready to be, and, and the loan was a loan that you take it as you need it. So I said to him, I met with him, I said, let's talk about it. He goes, listen, it's easier for me if we just run it out and do the work you need to do. We'll settle it in. I said, yeah, but I want to make sure I know the numbers. And he goes, look, Everything's going great right now, right? Yes. You believe God's in this? Yeah, no doubt in my mind. He goes, I believe God's in this. We'll work it out. If you need longer time to pay it, we'll put a payment you know, in place. Just don't worry. Let's get things done. I'm not overly comfortable with that, but I'm like, okay. We do it. He's comfortable with it. We do it. Get all done. Months of build out. Three months, I think it was. Because it was a lot of work. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we were doing weekends. Finally... It's all done. I go to the, the guy and I said, all right, now this, this bill is going to be around 600000 Because now you're, we're adding it all up and I'm like, oh my gosh. So, but yet we're still collecting money from people. You know, I'm the only pastor at that moment. It was, it's not true. We took another pastor on, but he came on with a small amount of people who committed to paying what they were paying. So that would pay his salary. Great. Get all done. It was like, I want to say it was like 690000 something like that. I go to him and I say, okay, how do we do this? I said, we'll put your big chunk down. He goes, listen, I'm, God's in this. He said, you don't owe me anything. And I'm looking, I'm like, what's that mean? I mean, we don't owe you anything. He said, listen, God put on my heart. I was floored, dumbfounded, and said, you know, that's three quarters of a million dollars. Mm-hmm. You know, just short of it. And I, 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 I was stunned. And that gave us then more capital to get staff that we now needed desperately. And so, so God just continued to work and to bring in things that, you know, were just crazy. And... You know, and he didn't do it on my timing. He didn't do it in the way I thought it should happen. I had to be comfortable with discomfort. I had to be comfortable with ambiguity. But I had to know it was God. So along the way, God would do these things that would let me know it's me working. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep looking for the guidance. I believe that what happens to many churches, because you go through cycles of churches, mm. they get birthed, they grow, they plateau, they decline, they die. It's because 
of the journey of faith or faithlessness mm. that happens amongst among God's people. We start seeing all that we've gathered. We start getting possessive of what's there. We start treating it more like our empire instead of his kingdom. Mm. We we start, you know, looking at what something's going to cost instead of does God want us to do it? And then we start hearing, well, we don't have enough to do that, so we can't do it. And that's never how God operates. Never. And so you look at this, and that was my single experience with Powerhouse with many miracles that we never mentioned in there. We want to talk more about those miracles as we go. We want to talk more about birthing Mill Pond Church right now. And just so we are, you know, all understanding, we started our, we started Mill Pond as an incorporation because God really put it on my heart to get something going right before COVID hit. Then COVID hits. So you go, okay, God, I'm pretty sure it was you telling me, right? You start second guessing. But then I was, it was confirmed again. No, this is right. Then we said, okay, we'll go electronic. We went like everybody else did. Mm -hmm. And we just met on Zoom. Zoom was a great substitute. It does not fulfill all the mm -hmm. needs of community that it does when you're meeting in person. But if you're a shut-in, if you live in a different region, if you're away on vacation, it's a great thing, right? But I tell people it's nothing for, and I'm going to explain why that is as we do other podcasts mm -hmm. of this. So mm -hmm. I want to pause there. We're going to come back to Acts 2.42 next time. But I want to throw it to you, Mike, and say, you know, I dominated the whole time today. You know what, though? So many things that you were saying, it just really uh, jumps out to me. And um, I really, all I think about is uh, 1 Kings 19 with Elijah. Like, if, if you're really, you know, so many times you're checking in with God, checking in with God. And really, that's the whole point. The still small voice. Everybody wants these big miracles. Um, you know, even in the scripture, Jesus did big miracles. So the Pharisees would believe because they had the scriptural knowledge, but they still needed something to reinforce it. But really, if you're really listening to God, you're listening to that still small voice, he'll lead you where to go. You have to just listen. Sometimes the problem is with prayers, we do too much talking and not nearly enough listening. You are absolutely right. And I will say this, the spirit of God is still speaking. Mm. He speaks. There's things that people assume about prayer. Or they may even know the true things, but treat it not like the true thing. Mm -hmm. Many people treat it like a wish list or a Christmas list. Mm -hmm. They're yelling out to Santa <laughs> and, you know, and saying, I'd like this, I'd like this, I'd like this, I'd like, can I get some of that? And what about this, Lord? And this is going on in my life. And get right Now, part of prayer is seeking your daily bread. That's the Lord's prayer in there, right? But... A good part of prayer is confession, searching the soul. Where am I lacking? Where am I not? How do I yield what I know to not be right to God? And you're asking God. So you're you're praying for yourself in that way. Then you're interceding for others. Mm. People treat that a little bit like Christmas. And mm. in this way, they might say, and Jim said this the other day, you know, Jim, you know, to, it might have been today he was telling me this, but I thought this was a funny thing. And, and and captured it he said it's it's kind of what did he call it like uh he, he called us something about how we treat santa he had a good name for it okay but here's what he said he goes it's like when you get to that age that you don't really believe in santa but 
still make your list out and you still go to bed on time and you still put the cookies out just in case <laughs> you know it's been, your bases <laughs> it's been broken to you that he's not real but you're still little so we're like well we don't really expect it to come through we don't really, but just in case we do just in case prayers right and that's not a fair a, a, a mm. prayer of faith and if we lack faith we pray for faith mm-hmm. oh isn't that novel god wants to give us faith mm-hmm. right so we have a great illustration in the bible that where the man came to jesus he had already talked to his disciples his son was possessed by a, a demon and he said lord if you can help mm-hmm. my son please enjoy and jesus said if i can mm-hmm. and he said do you believe i can and the man must have been looking in jesus eyes and said I believe, but help me in my disbelief. Yeah. Like, yeah. I do and I don't. I do and I don't. And Jesus, that was enough for Jesus. He turned and he healed the child in that instant. Yeah. Answering both prayers, right? Mm-hmm. What was it? He prayed and healed the child, and he healed the man's faith. Mm-hmm. So we just have to ask God. We're going to wrap it there, but, uh, you know, I just want, if, if you are listening to this podcast, join us for the journey. And this is called, uh, you know, once again, the power of the spirit. Or, no, it's not. It's surprised by the spirit, surprised which is about the, the power yep. of the spirit. Surprised by the spirit. And stay with us in the journey, and you will be surprised, as we are often surprised, at what the spirit of God does when we seek, when we ask, when we obey. And, you know, maybe you're going to find some answers that you've been looking for a long time so this is called mostly unseen the power and the work of the spirit is mostly unseen until it is seen so that's what we talk about here so mike why don't you pray first and close lord we thank you for this day lord we thank you for opening the eyes of those people that listening just to show them how you work in ways that don't make sense to the logical mind so many things in Jeff's story about how the the, the church was getting planted and how it was starting nobody would have ever thought of as, oh, this is going to work, but we know that you know the answers, Lord. And um, I pray that others are, are seeking you, Lord, so that they can find your answers, because your answers are always right, and ours are not. So, Lord, we just pray that people will come to you, and um, if you're hearing this, you just say, Lord Jesus, please come into my heart. Let me follow you. Let me find you. We thank you in your holy name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. See you next time, and uh, thanks for joining us.